Thank you for listening to Christ Church Showmans. This is Jared Sparks, one of the pastors at Christ Church Carbondale. We want to thank you so much for listening, as Ransom said, my son. And we ultimately hope that these are God-honoring. And because they are God-honoring, we hope that they are also edifying and encouraging and, and challenging to you in the best sort of way. Thanks so much for listening. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 1 through 7. Let's pray, ask for the Lord's help. And I know he will give it because he tells us he will. So let's, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come before you because we're your children and we want to hear you speak. And we want to respond to you as children uh, are to respond to a father. We want to honor you and love you and obey you. And so we're asking, Holy Spirit, that you would turn our attention to the words that you have written. And you would help us to see Jesus as the true promise keeper, the true vow keeper. And help us as we're reading through this to be challenged to honor you more, love you more, and obey you more. And do so with joy. God, I trust you're going to lead us. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Fools like to talk, and they like to talk a lot. Proverbs 18.2 says this, A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only expressing his opinion. Proverbs 29.11 says this, A fool gives vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds it back. Proverbs 18.6 says, A fool's lips walk into a fight, and his mouth invites a beating. Proverbs 29.9, if a wise man has an argument with a fool, the fool only rages and laughs and there is no quiet. So the wise man is going to be bringing logic and truth and argumentation and the fool is going to be laughing at it. Proverbs 28.26, whoever trusts his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Your mind can play tricks on you if you just walk according to your own thinking all the time. Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The sermon title today is Don't Be a Fool. Do not be a fool. Here's the problem. Fools don't listen to instruction like that. And they say, yeah, everybody else better listen up. Because the fool is wise in his own eyes and thinks everybody else is foolish. And maybe today, the words of Solomon through the power of the Holy Spirit jolt foolishness out of us, or out of you, and we begin to take up the wisdom of God. Let's let's be people who, by the grace of God, walk in wisdom and take Solomon's advice not to walk in foolishness. Here's the words of the Lord again. Look at chapter 5 in Ecclesiastes, verse 1. Guard your steps when you walk into the house of God. To draw near to listen is is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they are doing is evil. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart utter, be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth, therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness, and fool's voice with many words." When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. So we're going to look at how to not be foolish. We're going to get some wisdom from Solomon as he has moved through the utter folly of a life 
without God. He now is turning the corner again and he's giving us wisdom and he's telling us how this world works. And this is an instance where he is speaking truth, wisdom from on high to those who are walking in foolishness and saying, here's how to not be foolish. And even for the believer, even those who are filled with the Holy Spirit, here's the truth. We don't want to be foolish. We don't want to walk in the way of the world. We don't want our mouths to lead us into a fight. And we don't want to hear the wisdom of God and tune our ears out and say, no, I've, I've, I've got this. We want to walk in wisdom. We want to live wisely. You know, the Christian life is about learning more and more about what Christ has done for us, but it's also it's transformative. The scriptures has, have given us a way to live, a way that life works. And so this should affect how we make our decisions. It should affect how we to respond, how we respond to people who disagree with us. It should affect the way we live our life throughout the week. And so Solomon is going to tell us simply and plainly, here's how not to be foolish. Look at verse 1. Guard your steps. Guard your steps when you walk into the house of God. What does that mean? Guard your steps when you walk into the house of God. There's questions that kind of rise up for me when I think about the house of God. In the Old Testament, we know that the Spirit of God dwelled within the temple of God. The Spirit of God dwelled even within the temple in the Holy of Holies. The Spirit of God was very much in a place. Even though God was still everywhere all at once, His presence was in a location. There's mystery to that, of how that works. How God could be everywhere at once and yet in a place. And the Spirit of God dwell in a place, the house of God. The temple or the tabernacle of God, as the people of God were moving, was a holy, holy place. And the people of God were to guard their steps when they walked into the house of God. You're to be on guard. You are not to walk in with a flippant attitude. When you're walking to the place in which God's presence was thick, you are to guard your steps. Don't go skipping in. You are to be attentive, attentive when you walk into the presence of God. So his presence somehow in a mysterious way can be more in one place than another. And I want you to think about Jonah, for instance, like Jonah in the Old Testament. If you remember, if you read through the, the story of Jonah, Jonah heard the word of the Lord and he ran from the presence of God rather than running to obey God. And even though God was present on the ship that he ran to, God was present there, he fled God in his presence to run and get on that ship. He did not want to go to Nineveh. He fled to Tarshish. Away from the presence of God. And yet God met him there. But somehow he was able to flee the presence of God. So God dwells in a place even though he was everywhere all at once. Now, today, the Spirit of God does not indwell buildings. But the building of God is the people of God. And so we are the very presence of God when we come together. God himself dwells within us individually and corporately. And so the... The way we can approach verse 1, we're talking about guarding your steps when you go into the house of God, is this. When you come to the place of God's presence, be attentive and be aware. When we come to church on Sunday morning, we're not just coming to have fun, although I think we should have fun when we come together. We should be coming attentive, ready to hear from God and encourage one another. When we come to God, even though we have attire you know, in our church today, we know that... that, uh, that, that 
Coming in a respectful and honorable way isn't simply about the clothes that we wear. We are a very casual atmosphere about here, around here. But when you come on a Sunday morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come expecting that you're going to meet with a holy God and walk out the doors differently than you came in. Guard your steps when you walk into the presence of God. Take this seriously. Don't just come to church because you're supposed to go to church. Come to church because you're going to meet with God and to be changed by Him. We're not flippant with the things of God. The things of God, even play and laughter, are very serious. The things of God, even play and even laughter, are very serious. There's a way to joke and laugh that dishonors God greatly. When you come to the house of God, we're not coming here just to be entertained, to play a game. We're coming to meet with a holy God, and we're coming to meet with a holy God together. So guard your steps when you come into the house of God. If you don't want to be a fool, come here and know what you're coming here for. Then we get some instruction about how to do this. In verse 1b, listen to this. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing is evil. When we come to this house of God, when we come to the place in which the presence of God is, there should be more listening than there is talking. And not simply listening to my voice, not just simply listening to the edifying voice of others. We want to hear from God. And there is a lot of talk, a lot of talk in evangelical circles and in our world today. And again, these, these, it's just so, transfer, so transferable to our world today. There's so much talk about listening right now. Listen, listen, listen. Regardless of the social line that you follow, when it comes to social justice or social action, whatever it is, when you just start listening, we're, we're told, for those who don't understand the plight of another group, whatever that group is, to listen, 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 listen. And the caution for us and the challenge for us is to make sure we're listening to the right people and, and primarily the right person. We, we need to be listening to God. And if we listen to people more than we listen to God, we're going to listen ourselves away from a walk with God. And we're going to listen ourselves away from the truth of God. And we're going to listen ourselves away from the words of God. And we're going to start thinking that the opinion, opinions of men are more truthful than the opinions of God. And when we come to the house of God, we come to hear from God, not to offer foolish sacrifices. If we don't want to be foolish, we meet with God on his terms, not ours. Fools ignore God and do religion their way. That's what the text says. To draw near to listen is better, to, better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know what they're doing is evil. You see, the fool wants to make sacrifices to God, but it's foolish sacrifices. It's foolish sacrifices. The fool wants to approach God, wants to come to God, but they want to give to God what they want to give to God, not what God demands. And so foolish people walk around talking about religion, talking about doing good things for the poor, doing good things for society, whatever it may be, but they're always trying to dictate the terms of their relationship to God. And what Solomon is saying, you want to offer a sacrifice to fools, you can, but it's an evil, it's an evil act. It's an evil action. What you really need is to draw near and listen. Just listen to God. Hear from Him. Fools ignore God to do religion their own way. And that's been around a long time. It's evil. It's interesting what parades as religion in our day equates to sacrifices given from fools 
trying to get God to agree with them or do what they want them to do. The sacrifice of fool tries to control God to get God to agree with them and to get God to do what they want them to do. They're trying to make God give God demand to give demands to God and then expect God to do what they want. It's kind of like this. Okay, God, I'll give you an area of my life and I'll offer that to you because I'm okay with that, but I will not offer you this area of my life. God, don't touch that. The areas that I'm comfortable with you having, the areas that I'm comfortable serving you, I'll give you what I'm comfortable with and I'll serve you in that area, but I'm not going to ask, I'm not going to do what you ask me to do in this area, whatever that area may be. Don't ask me to walk away from that sin, God. That's not sin. Don't ask me to walk away from that or give up that. And the truth is, and Solomon's saying, that's evil. God defines the terms of our relationship to him. Mankind does not get to pull the strings on God. We get to listen to God. Listen to him. Listen to him. What does he have to say? And we're to not be angry about it. The fool gets angry at God often and justifies it. Look at verse 2. Do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart utter a hasty word before God. For God is in the heavens and you are on the earth. Therefore, let your words be few. Let your words be few. Let's just uh, use some metaphor and connect some dots here. Your earthly father, your earthly father, even if your earthly father is, is, is terrible in many respects, are, is there ever an occasion that it's justified to speak angrily at them or, or rash with them? I guess if there's something they're doing very wrong and it, it requires immediate action, but the general sentiment is that you are to be respectful to your father and mother, and your father, even if he is doing some silly things, we are to still honor them. Is that not true? Find ways to honor our parents. The command is not just a defensive command. It's an offensive command. We are to honor our father and mother. That means that we are to, to, to try to do things specifically. It's, an, it's a call to action. How can I honor them even if they're doing dishonorable things? I'm wanting to seek ways to honor them because we're to respect our father and mother. We're to honor them. There is a popular thing that has, has gone around for a very long time that says this. God can handle your anger at him. And I guess there's a sense that that's true. We should be honest when we're praying before the Lord. But I think there's a warning here. I do. There's a warning here. In the same way that we don't just talk angrily to our earthly father, do not be hasty with your mouth and your heart before the heavenly father. Respect him. Honor him. He has done you no wrong. He never has and he never will. And if there is anger there for some atrocity that's happening or some difficulty that's in your way, if there's some sort of frustration, it's not that he's done something wrong. It's that you lack understanding to understand what he's doing. Right. And what he is doing is loving and tender. And he is caring for you. He is not doing you harm. And Solomon is saying, be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter word before God. Not just with your mouth. Don't just bring your anger to him and just let it spill out. But in, in your heart, if you're praying and saying, God, I'm so angry with you. Solomon's saying, no, don't do that. That's not appropriate. Don't just babble on and on in anger, complaining to God. Watch your words. Don't be flippant. Think about what you're saying. Think about what you're feeling. Don't be blaming and accusatory toward your heavenly father. 
And he says this on the foundation of the fact that God is in heaven and you are on earth. It's like Solomon saying, hey, know your place. Know your place. God is God. He sits on the throne. You don't. Foolish people think it's flipped. Foolish people pretend that they sit on the throne. And everybody else exists for them. Even God. And so they bring their accusations before the Lord and say that God can handle it. Be not rash with your mouth. And do not let your heart utter a hasty word before the Lord. Look at verse 3. For a dream comes with much busyness, and a fool's voice with many words. There are good entrepreneurs and there are bad entrepreneurs. There are dreamers who put the work in to see their dream come to reality. And then there are those who dream and make plans and demand God meet them in their dreams and plans. But one thing that unites both the dreamer and the entrepreneur, the good and the bad, is that they're always busy and they're always hustling. You know the dreamer. He's never satisfied. She's never satisfied. There's always something else and it's never enough. You climb one mountain and the next mountain is in view. And then you get to that mountain and you see, huh, this is nice, but what I really love is the climb, so I'm going to keep climbing. It's never enough. This is the existential idea, existentialism, the idea that it's not just the end, it's the journey. That's the joy, is that the joy is in the journey, and people just love the journey. That's why entrepreneurs keep doing their entrepreneurial thing. It's just there's never an arrival. They build a company and sell it just to build another company and sell it again. The, dream, the dreamer always has dreams, always has plans, always has ideas. There's some good that can see those dreams to fruition. There's others that are always just talking and they never see it become a reality. It's like sand. It just keeps falling through your hands. You can't hold it. You pick it up and it's there for a minute and just kind of falls through the cracks of your fingers. The fool is always talking, always busy, always hustling, never satisfied, always, always talking and running their mouth. But what are we told here? A fool's voice comes with many words. The flip side of that is there's wisdom and just listening. Stop talking so much. A little less talk and a lot more action. Is that Brooks and Dunn? Is that who that is? I think it's Brooks and Dunn. Country music enthusiast. So watch your mouth. Do what you say. Say what you mean. Don't just talk. Listen more than you talk. And when you do talk, calculate your words. Look at verse 4 and 5. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay in paying it. For he has no pleasure in fools. That word fools again. Pay what you vow. It's better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay. How many times have we told God we're going to do something? Solomon says when you vow your vow to God, do it. Better to not make the vow than to make it and not do it. Vows in the scriptures are interesting. There's a thing called the Nazarite vow. We see that Paul did this in the New Testament. They're voluntarily, they're voluntary like fasting. They're not commanded for us to do it. But the expectation is that we are going to make vows to the Lord and keep those vows. So 
we're going to say for this month I'm going to cut back on this and I'm going to dedicate the time that I was doing this to doing that. And this is an area that I'm very weak. Fasting is an area that I'm very weak. It's not been a regular discipline in my life. But in the scriptures, making vows to the Lord works like this. I'm going to tell you, God, I'm going to do something and I'm going to do it. Or I'm going to withhold from doing something and I'm going to withhold from doing that. Paul did that. People in the Old Testament did that and the New Testament did that. Jesus said, when you fast, which is a way of making a vow before the Lord, I will not eat of this food for a particular season or a particular time period to, get, to dedicate myself to the Lord. And what Solomon is saying, if you, if you vow to God something, if you tell him you're going to do something, then do it. Know what you're saying before the Lord. If you're battling a particular sin in your life and you say, God, I can't vow to never do this sin again. But I can vow to you for the rest of this day. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do whatever it is that you're going to do that day. And if you say that, do it. Don't break your promises before the Lord. Mean what you say and say what you mean. Don't foolishly lie to God and break your commitment to Him to do something or not do something. It's just far better to not vow anything at all. It's far better to, say, to not even say to God, I won't do that anymore, or I, won't, or I will do this now. It's better just to not say anything at all. Don't break your promises to God. I want you to remember these commands about foolishness and we're going to get to the law of God here in a little bit and Jesus' ability to be a vow keeper and a promise keeper. This is one of the ways that we get the big movement, promise keepers. You remember promise keepers is relaunching a group of men in the 90s who were committing themselves to the Lord and to their families saying, I'm going to be a promise keeper. I'm not going to break my promises anymore. I'm going to be a man of honor and I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do and I'm going to not do what I'm, going to, what I'm saying I'm not going to do. I'm going to be a true man of God. There's a lot of good that came from that. Amen. Don't break your promises. The fool doesn't ever watch his mouth, though, and doesn't ever watch what he promises or what he commits to God at all. He doesn't matter. He just makes promises and breaks them. Look at verse 6. Let not your mouth lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger, it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands. We have to do a little bit of interpretive work in this verse. In this verse, Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. And in the context with the verse before that, do not let your mouth lead you into making vows you won't keep. Count the cost of your words. Do not let your mouth lead you into making vows you will not keep or cannot keep. And then, after you've broken those vows, when the, when the fool makes those vows and does let his mouth lead him into sin. And when he says, it was just a mistake, it was an accident, I shouldn't have said that, I didn't really mean it. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? It's God's prerogative. And vow keepers who make vows before the Lord and don't keep them, God is not obligated to respond in a favorable way. He can bring his judgment. Judgment comes upon such behavior. Don't make promises all about what you're going to do for God. Instead, just don't make the vows that you can't keep. Watch your mouth. Don't say, ah, I didn't really mean it. Look at verse 7. For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. 
when dreams increase, when I want to see change or when I want to change, when I see a vision of what God is calling me to be, when you see a vision of what God is calling you to be, it is easy to quickly make promises to God and to tell Him all that they are now going to do for Him. And what Solomon is saying is that's vanity. It's vanity. To foolishly just continue to promise God what you are going to do and not going to do. And what Solomon instructs us in is just really simple. Instead, God is the one you must fear. Fear God. Fear God. How do we make sense of this in light of the whole Bible? In light of Christ, in light of the good biblical theology that you all have? Understanding the law of God and the gospel of God, understanding the context of Ecclesiastes and what Solomon is trying to do as a preacher. How do we connect some dots here? Because the believer and unbeliever, like in so many texts we preach, approach these texts in different ways. Condemnation is for the non-believer, not for the believer. So there's a problem when we look at this passage. Now let the Holy Spirit work out the details of its application. Here's a problem. Here's a problem. For a non-believer, as they hear a sermon like this, and then as you reflect on your life, growing up with the Lord in your local church or with your family or just your life with God in general, I'm sure that you have several moments that you can point back to and say, I broke my vows to the Lord. I told God that I was going to do something for him or was going to live this way or I caught a glimpse of what he was calling me to do and I set out to do it and I quit. I remember when I was a young man, just a little, little boy, I remember thinking when I was young, I would get in trouble all the time. I don't know, it's, I mean, there's no way you can imagine this, but I used to talk a lot. I had this... Spanish teacher one time, Miss Moore. Oh. I just would talk all the time. And I remember getting in trouble all the time. I would remember just thinking, just so disappointed in myself. I remember George Sullivan would get me and put me on top of the filing cabinet, talk to me and say, you're going to sit there until your attitude can change. And I'd get sent up to my mom in the principal's office at Children's Church. And I remember just being so devastated because here's my mom, Children's Church director, and and my dad, and wanted to honor them, but I was always in trouble. Just always in trouble. Not really doing anything just blatantly or wrong or, or, or mean. But it was just talking. I just would not be quiet. And so I, I remember sitting in my, I, I mean, probably five, six, seven years old. I remember sitting in my living room at 606 Carbon Street, not living room, bedroom at 606 Carbon Street. And remember just praying, this is it. I am not going to behave like this anymore. I am going to be good. I am going to honor my parents. I am going to obey. And the words that a five-year-old thinks and says. That's how I was thinking through that. I'm going to be better. And I remember the very next Sunday I got in trouble. The very next Sunday. And it happened almost every week. Just Todd and Melinda. I'd get in trouble with them. Whoever it was. Whatever my Sunday school teacher. Every Sunday I would get in trouble. I just kept getting in trouble. And that's been a pattern of mine over the years of... In love, wanting to honor the Lord, wanting to do the right thing, telling Him I'm going to change, only to realize change is a whole lot slower than I wanted it to be. 
And I'd be in the exact same place as I was at, I was at yesterday or the day before or the week before. Feeling condemned or frustrated. Because I was yet again breaking my promises to God. Even as a spirit-empowered believer, how many times have we failed to do what we have promised to do or to not do what we should do? How many times have we foolishly told God all that I'm going to do from the inside out? But life doesn't really work like that. It's, it's very difficult. And in our immaturity, we think a whole lot more about our abilities than we should. Or we think a lot less of the Spirit's abilities than we should. And so as we grow in maturity, we should know our frailties and weakness, but we should also know the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to help change us into promise keepers rather than promise breakers. But here's the deal. We don't get to tell God our plans and then expect him to make it happen. If you remember the, the big study that was happening in the 80s and the 90s, experiencing God, experiencing God rightly identified a problem that we, we get our plans, our values, our vision, and what we want to see happen, and then we give them to God and expect God to bless it. Instead of asking God, what are you expecting of me? What is my duty? What is my responsibility? What are you calling me to? And then obeying and honoring him in that. We're called to lay down our lives, not demand God give us our lives in the way we want him to. We're called to get up into the better purposes of God. Non-believers sometimes, uh, here's the deal, non-believers will sometimes spend years in no negotiation with God without ever surrendering. That's why you have stories all the time about people coming to church for years and years and years, and then finally one day the Holy Spirit opens their eyes and they become a Christian. There's negotiations that's been happening, but surrender never happened. Repentance never happened. So I'll, it's like scratch God's back and he'll scratch my back. And look, I've got a better job since I started going to church or I, whatever it may be. But negotiation and repentance, it's two different worlds. The negotiators always want to keep some area of, of sin or dream or desire to themselves, And here's the deal. We, we need to listen to God in, instead. We want to want what he wants instead rather than being consumed with what, what we want. And here's the truth. Mankind has failed miserably and there's judgment for it. But now we think about Jesus on the other hand. This is going to unleash us for several things. It's going to unleash us to actually become promise keepers. And this is how the law of God works. You've heard me explain this several times. The first use of the law is to show us our need for Jesus. Amen. So, in a real sense, all of mankind, they're miserable lawbreakers and vow breakers. And they sinned and are, they walk the path of the fool. All mankind walking the path of the fool. Even Solomon, as he tells us how to not be foolish, walked in the own foolishness he warned against. Jesus is the only one who actually walked in the wisdom that Solomon called us to. Jesus always listened to his heavenly father. He did not foolishly talk the talk, but he walked the walk. He didn't make empty promises to God. He lived a totally surrendered life to the will of his heavenly father. He says this in John chapter 5, verse 19. And connect the dots to passages like this in the Old Testament. The connections are astounding. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord. Total surrender here. 
but only what he sees his father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. There was perfect unity, perfect obedience, perfect surrender. Whatever the father said to do, that's what the son did. He couldn't do otherwise. And he vowed, he vowed, he kept it. Any law that was expected for, of him to keep, he kept it. Any action that he was pro prohibited from doing, he didn't do. Jesus drew near to listen. He didn't walk and talk the way of the fool. And the wisest man in all of history, King Solomon, who we are learning from, as Brian Sauvé so quickly pointed out for us, the man who warned about the Jezebel, had a thousand wives and had thousands of concubines. And his heart was drawn away by foreign women as he warned about women like that to anybody who would listen. As he tells us to don't be the fool, he walked in the way of the fool. But Jesus came to do the Father's will. He submitted to God perfectly on our behalf. He came to live the life of wisdom for the sake of the fool. For those who just keep talking. For those who break their promises to God. Who, those who are too weak and too frail and too sinful to actually do what they say they're going to do. And here is Jesus coming to not just be a man of talk, but to do every action he said he would do. He did it. You want to talk about honor. You want to talk about character. You want to talk about somebody who did, does what they say they're going to do. Jesus is that man. Solomon failed to live it out. So did we, that first use of the law. This is where we should see the contrast between us and Jesus. Between Solomon and Jesus. Between John the Baptist, the greatest ever born uh, 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 from, from the... John the... the uh, the greatest who's ever born out of the womb of, belly of a woman. Uh, and yet those who are the least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than he. Even us. We should see the difference between us and Jesus. This is the first use of the law. We should turn our eyes to Jesus as the great covenant keeper, the great law abiding one, the great one of wisdom. And we should see how utterly different we are than him. And we should be in awe. That he would come for us. Fools. We should bow our knee and worship. And friends, that's what the Holy Spirit of God has opened your eyes to. Redeeming love has been your theme and it will be till you die. You love Jesus. You want to honor him. When you hear the gospel preached, you just, from the inside out, you're like, God, thank you for your favor. Thank you for your grace for us in Christ Jesus. God, you are so kind to me. I was a fool. I was blind. I was walking in stupidity. And you came for me anyways. You played the fool. Jesus was punished as a fool for you. He died the death of a fool, the death of a talker, the death of a lawbreaker, the death of a vowbreaker. He died the death of a fool. You get the reward. Honestly. You can't find a message like that anywhere else. You can't, you can't find news like that. It's just the greatest news in the world.
And when you recognize the grace of God, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it changes everything. It changes everything. You become free. You're freed up. You're just, you're, you, you, the, the knots begin to get untied. And you're able to lay down dreams and plans at the feet of Jesus. And you're able to say, God, whatever you want from me, if you've been so kind, so kind as to save me, I will follow you all the days of my life. Amen. And if my life does not look like the way I wanted it to look like, if my future does not look like I want it to look like, as long as I'm with you and you're with me, I'm more than okay. I'm overjoyed. We don't have to fear judgment from our Heavenly Father. We know the promise keeper. And here, here's the interesting thing about this. We're free, finally, through the power of the Holy Spirit to actually start making promises to God and obeying. That's the interesting thing. The gospel of Jesus doesn't leave you where you are. It empowers you to become Christ-like. And so when we hear things like this in Ecclesiastes, we hear it, the first view of the law here, but we also hear the third view of the law. This is about who we're coming, becoming as well. We're being transformed. And say there's an area of your life that needs to stop or needs to change. Some area that you've been slow to repent and it's been hard to get traction on how to overcome this particular sin. Be wise in your promises to God. Don't say, God, I'm never going to do this again. But say, God, by your grace and through the power of the Holy Spirit, I promise you for this next hour, I'm going to walk in obedience. For these next five minutes, my heart is your, for this next minute, I'm giving you my heart, my attention, and I'm going to obey you this area. Help me to repent and follow you here. And friends, your behaviors and patterns, my behaviors and patterns of existence can be changed through the power of the Holy Spirit where we become more and more Christ-like, where we're not just foolishly rattling on and on about all these things we're going to do and blah, 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 and living the life of the fool. We can become wise. We can walk in wisdom. We can be men and women who live like Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? Right? Okay, let's practically apply this. I don't want you to be a fool today. I want you to look to Jesus, the promise keeper. And then simply ask, God, because I'm so grateful to you, where can I be a man or woman of my word? Where I'm going to become the man or woman who you are calling me to be. And I'm not going to promise that I'm never going to struggle with this again. I'm not going to promise that I'm never going to do this again because I can't make that promise. But God, will you help me today to honor you? And I'm going to honor you today. For this next hour, I'm going to honor you. For the time that I sing this song, I'm going to honor you. And by the grace of God, listen to me. I want, I want, I want you to hear me say this. Through the power of the Holy Spirit working, working through you, you can do that. You can do that. Look to him in grace and trust 
that he's going to help you change. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you.